Wardcast episode 161 go I'm Dil Alvento, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Kevin Regami, creative director and co-founder at Power Up Audio. Hi, Kevin. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. And you? Uh, great. It's final stretch. I have a handful more recordings to get done, and I think that's that's going to cinch it up for the rest of the year. Oh, nice. Okay. Final stretch. Let's go. Yeah, that's it. Just got to charge you through it. I made a commitment to have it done <laughs> by uh, second weekend of November. I think we're going to hit it. But uh, how's life? How's life up in Vancouver? Yeah, it's good. It's getting a bit wetter <laughs> as in, into the winter months. It's like November hits and you're, you're good for four or five, six months of rain. <laughs> so it's we're kind of all strapping in for the long haul here, yeah. And work-wise, we're, we're busy, yeah. We're, um, yeah, I mean, we've been doing a lot of, a lot of trips uh, Jeff like just left for a retreat with the team we're working with, and <laughs> I just I like, just got back from Madrid, so it's been a lot of a lot of working and showing stuff. Yeah, what were you in Madrid for? So Madrid Games Week was happening, and Xbox, like the ID at Xbox program, um, they hit up a lot of ID developers and said, "Hey, do you want to come and hang out at Madrid Games Week for the media day? Like the first day, uh, the whole event's kind of like a PAX, I guess." It's kind of consumer facing and with the addition of a um, like a media and professionals day before the main kind of the main event. So, yeah, I went over there and we're showing Tunic and it was just me from the Finji team and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I had to learn some very, very basic Spanish just to inform people who walked up that I did not speak the language. <laughs> it was, oh, man. It was the first um the first kind of convention conference style event I've been to where English is not the default and it was definitely something different. It was super fun and everyone loved the game. So I'm, I'm glad I went certainly. And for the team's sake, just not for, just for mine, for the whole team. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they want us back next year. So we'll see, I guess there weren't a lot of um, developers who stayed past the media day. Cause I think a lot of the developers were Europeans. So they kind of came in from Poland and it's not, not very, not very far to, hop on a train and kind of head back the next day. So whereas me flying from like the far side of North America to get to Spain, it's like, we're going to stay for the whole event, you know? Yeah. I feel like Europe's pretty big on, uh, doing, doing a whole week of a, a game convention, like Gamescom set up that way and Paris games week set up that way. Yeah. And you know, the something else kind of on that note is that the hours were long. It went from 10 AM until 8 PM every day. Oh, it's crazy. Oh. <laughs> and, and I one uh, one kind of stark contrast um, point I I couldn't help but notice as well is that the evening culture, like the evening conference culture, was very like we're going home. That was kind of <laughs> on everyone's schedule. So I'm going around to the various you know people I'd met there, like my my booth mates and such, and saying like, hey, so are there any like parties happening? Any like you know getting drinks afterwards? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> Like this, not even a oh yeah good idea it was like no we're not doing that so did you not just put 10 hours in your booth because i sure did <laughs> it was definitely a bit a bit different than gdc or pax or whatever where it's like okay you go all day and it's like all right now we're drinking all night and we're doing it again the next day so yeah, it was different different culture a bit but uh yeah i did get to see by the city the, the final night there were some game design students who took me out 
um, as well as some some of the Xbox crew. So I got to see a bit of downtown Madrid. Got to see Seoul, like the center of Spain. And uh, yeah, I'm not really huge on tourism, but it was definitely cool to get to hang with some some locals, you know. Yeah, definitely. I I had that same uh, thing with uh, Back South because Becca Saltzman was like, "Come to this thing." It was like a huge, like group dinner with a bunch of like Austin and other Texas devs. Yeah, that was sure. really cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I don't do much sightseeing either. Whenever I go to these conventions, mostly because you kind of run out of time to do it. Yeah, my my girlfriend who is seated to my right right now, um, was angry at the idea that I would not see some of Madrid while there. (laughs) So I had to, I had to make some time. Just be like, well, I'm going back next year. We'll just slowly, slowly accumulate a little bit of tourism. Yeah. We'll make a, we'll make a legit vacation of it one time. (laughs) It's really interesting about like how you guys work at power up because you know, you guys are always helping out either with like the Finji booth or with you're helping out uh, Mike Rose for the No More Robots booth because you helped with Descenders. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're you're much more involved in non-audio stuff than I guess you should be expected to or anything. Like, I think it's awesome. But it's always, it's so cool how ingrained you, you guys get into these projects. Yeah, cheers. I mean, it's it's certainly, it's it's never in... I mean, I don't think it's ever been in like like a contract, like we'll do your booth for you or like we'll do QA for you or we'll do marketing support or whatever. It's just sort of understood that that's just what you get if you work with us. It's just, I mean, the thing is, so my, my co-founder, uh, Jeff Tangsock, he and I came from another company that was also kind of a guns for guns for hire, uh, audio team, but they were very focused in like getting the content done and moving on. And that's kind of all you'd ever do. And it was pretty, uh, like methodical and like I use the word, like it's factory oriented big time. It was like, get it done and move on, get it done and move on. And like, if there's a problem with the stuff, they'll tell you if they don't tell you, then you're not looking at it ever again. <laughs> like you won't <laughs> go in the project and play it and like find bugs. I just wouldn't do that because it's already paid for, you know? So these days, you know, we're six years into, into, uh, power up audio since incorporation and, we have found a lot of success in kind of deeply entrenching ourselves in the projects we're working on, like with the teams we're working with and yeah, doing things like you're saying, like going to PAX and helping at the booth. It's, it's like, it's not just something we feel obligated to do. Like it's a, it's a good time, you know, it's certainly a fun time and uh, yeah, being able to do things like even in one of, one of the first games we ever found success with, like kind of our breakaway hit, you might call it was, was Towerfall Ascension and in that game, there's like a trials mode, kind of like a Smash Brothers style, break the targets kind of mode. <laughs> you and gotta say, you gotta say, break the targets, <laughs> break the targets, and yeah, the, I mean, the one thing I did with that is that I I speed run right, so I put a lot of time into like using these kind of high level movement strats to get these super high, super fast scores, super fast times, and those are the dev times like in the shipped game, you know. So that was like power up audio like stepping in to help with <laughs> like the dev speed run times so overall i mean we kind of say that like we'll we'll help as much as a developer is comfortable with <laughs> like we'll just keep throwing ourselves at a project until they say when so it's worked so far yeah i mean and i think it helps kind of build up your guys's reputation and, like make sure people know about you because with your other example with the place you worked at previously like it can also be kind of impersonal and 
if you want the product to speak for itself, that's great. But maybe you also want to assure the the clients that there's someone behind behind the work that's willing to put in the extra mile. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, thankfully, we've we've gotten to a point in you know our tenure as a company that we are able to work on things we want to work on, you know, and we don't need to take every project that comes in the door as we once did in years one through three, especially because we're desperate and hungry and had to eat. <laughs> so like, sure, we'll do your Farmville clone. Absolutely. But these days it's not quite the, uh, our priority. And you get to do things like, uh, be the, um, off camera voice at the, uh, the giant bomb E3 couch segment. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm very curious how many people in the audience watching that knew that that was you when Harris was on. It's like, what, what, what was that? What was that thing? What was the noise the guy made? You just hear, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got, uh, I got a few tweets. <laughs> when that happened. Was, like, was that okay. you? I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew almost immediately it was you. I was like, this is, this has to be Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool little kind of tiny party. I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, um, I've never been like a massive fanboy of, of that podcast or anything. So I, with the tweets I was getting of people that were like intensely jealous, I just felt bags. I was like, I didn't even have to work to get into that room. I just came along. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but well, no. I mean, those guys are super chill and friendly. So yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's a, I think from the outside looking in, like if you're not in the business, you, you kind of put those guys up on a pedestal, which I mean, they do awesome work. So I'm not, I mean, I am, I am a big fan, but like if you talk to any of them, they're super personal. Oh yeah. I mean, I did. And they're great. <laughs> in the room. It's like, Hey, they're like, happy to have you. Come on in. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about power up audio. Let's talk about audio design. Let's talk about music composition. Um, obviously an important part of games. And I think a part that's like super difficult to do well if you're a solo dev. I know a lot of solo devs that do really good audio and I'm super jealous of them. But uh, yeah, it's not common. Definitely. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at Tunic, like obviously you guys are doing sound design that Lifeform is doing the, the soundtrack for it. What What's it like running kind of like a external house for... I mean, primarily indie devs, it seems like now is what your main repertoire is. Yeah. I mean, we, if we pie chart out the kind of work we're doing, I mean, I, I joked earlier how we kind of help however we can, but, uh, you know, on paper officially, as far as sound music and voiceover, that's kind of where we, where we, uh, hang out most often. And of those three, it's kind of in that order. Like we do the most sound design and then kind of music and voiceover are as needed here and there, but with the nature of the types of games we work on and the the kinds of teams we work with, it's really common for teams to already have a composer they've worked with, worked with before or someone they want to work with. So it might be that, you know, while we do do music here and there, and, you know, for example, like Riley Koenig on our team is doing music for the upcoming Phantom Brigade from Brace Yourself Games, and he's killing it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's awesome so far. But when there's games like, let's say, Tooth and Tail from Pocket Watch Games, and they have Austin and Wintry, we're like, well, Austin's a friend of mine. Like, heck yeah, let's go, <laughs> you know? So in the case of, you mentioned Tunic, uh, so Andrew Schuldeis, the lead dev, he had uh, already hit up Terrence Lee, aka Life Formed, um, due to the Dust Force soundtrack and the Double Fine documentary soundtrack. And he was using that stuff for temp music, and it just kicked ass. So he's like, okay. Terrence, let's go. So in that case, yeah, we're collaborating with Terrence, right? So we have kind of this laundry list of of composers we've worked with who were awesome. And 
as far as being an external developer, I mean, we, we collaborate with a variety of teams. I mean, people <laughs> have had friends walk into my office and like, look how many Slack teams we're on. Like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of silly. But I mean, we just stick on it because occasionally it's like, oh, well, DLC comes up like a year and a half later or something and we're still in the Slack team. So they just hit us up and say, hey. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot of multitasking and a lot of kind of prioritizing of what's got to be done and when and just trying to be agile and get things done as needed. You know? uh, so, like you said, you have a Rolodex of composers. Do people come up to you like not having source to compose themselves and like, hey, I want to work with you and then maybe like either you guys handle the, the music composition or can you guys find me one? Yeah, totally. I mean, if it's something like, I mean, I'll be completely honest. If, if say you come up and you're like, Hey, so, um, I love your sound on whatever game. Let's go that direction. And also for music, I was thinking something kind of like chip tuning, something kind of like SNES style. I mean, I can tell you right now that Riley would look at that and be like, mm, that's probably not for me. Cause he kind of, you know, he's like a doctorate in music composition and he excels in like orchestral writing and like cinematic writing and that kind of thing. So like I mentioned Phantom Brigade, it's like a massive mechs kind of grandiose game, you know, so that orchestral writing makes a lot of sense. Uh, whereas yeah, he's not the best person to do like an SNES chiptune soundtrack. So in that case, yeah, I'll totally hit up like a peer in the industry and say, Hey, um, this guy's awesome making a game. What do you think? And they might find a connection there, right? So in that case, I mean, I, I don't know if we'd like subcontract them ourselves. It usually makes more sense to just make a connection happen and then like do a collaboration kind of thing, right? Rather than actually hiring someone on and, and dealing with that. But it depends. It might happen that way too. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you you guys keep it pretty free form. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to be pretty adaptable for the indie, indie scene, you know? Yeah, exactly. When did the, uh, who was like the first uh, studio that you started manning booths for? Oh, that's a good question. Um, let's see. Our very first year, we so we began working like kinda uh, like real late 2012. We incorporated in October 2012, and I think Jeff went to the PAX previous like like the month prior, whatever it was, and was there kind of. I think it was, it was Riley actually, but that was just going as a like with a weekend badge kind of thing or weekend pass. Uh, I think the following year would have been us showing for real. I, I have no idea what the game would have been though. Like maybe Necrodancer. Yeah. Like that, that seems likely. <laughs> no, I've been in so many mega booth booths. Like the years blend together. I, I have no idea. I mean, I think we've shown like 15, 20 games with the mega booth. So wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Man. I'm guessing probably, probably Necrodancer. I'm guessing. Yeah, that was killer. That was like the best show game of all time because people walk up and they, I mean, it's like Blast in Tunes. It's by Danny Baranowski who killed it and everyone loves it. Like even the booths around us, literally it's like end of day four, they're still bopping away to the tunes, right? It's not annoying yet. And uh, I mean, as far as consumers go, they walk up and they just see the dance pad and look at the game and go, okay, I get it just immediately. You know, there's like no, there's no exhibiting needed really. And they walk up and the nature of that, of, of that gameplay is that people around kind of get into it themselves and they're like cheering, like the red dragon appears and people were like cheering on the person on the dance pad. It was just, it was fucking awesome, man. So that was the, yeah, it was a pretty good introduction to the world of exhibiting games at PAX. <laughs> 
Did you take care of the music on that as well or just the sound design? So that was, um, oftentimes what happens is we'll be, we'll kind of, we'll have a role, like we'll have tasks that involve music, but we won't, I wouldn't say, I would never dare say like, we did music for Necrodancer. That's kind of a pretty bold statement, you know? So Danny Baranowski did the main soundtrack and then there was the various remixers who did kind of the other soundtracks like uh, um, Family Jewels did the the metal version for Aria and um, like A-Rival did that kind of like electronic style soundtrack and like Chipsel did the Xbox exclusive soundtrack and et cetera, et cetera. Right, yeah. I so, remember the when it, it was announced that A-Rival was working on one. I remember that. Yeah, word. So in that case, um, we didn't, I, I did like a bit of assistance with Danny to help like master some stuff. So like make sure that the tracks are the same level. And I also took, uh, it's kind of a, a bit of a rabbit hole to go down, but for, for example, like as far as like specific music tasks that I was better suited to deal with. Um, for example, the shopkeeper who is, you know, famously sings along with the music as you're playing the game. If you, you can attack him and when he attacks you and when he gets hit, when he dies, there's like sound effects and it makes sense for those sound effects to be based off the voice that you heard him singing with, right? So in that case, I'm doing sound design based off of this kind of source material that Danny had originally come up with. And then further than that, there is a small chance for a shopkeeper to be an evil shopkeeper sometimes, and it's like a monstrous thing. So I took all the, um, what you call like the stems, like the single track of only the singing, I take that and process it to make it kind of like monstrous and weird. So if, you, if you're playing, there's like, there's like game design implications in that case because you're informing player behavior so if they're outside the shop and they hear a voice that's not quite right they might be like whoa maybe i won't i won't go in there actually so there's a lot of a lot of kind of playing playing off of what composers set the stage with and then kind of uh yeah like doing processing or doing editing or doing implementation or whatever so there's always a matter i mentioned austin wintry later on with uh, tooth and tail and austin is a big fan of being deeply involved in implementation and helping to dictate like the behavior and playback of his music and game. And in that case, I did all the work to like ensure things playback appropriately, like working with Andy shots, the coder and designer to like, you know, dictate when things happen. And then I make sure that they're set up correctly on my side so that they play back correctly. So it's, a, it's a lot of back and forth where I'm definitely involved in music as well, as well as the rest of our team, but might not be doing the actual writing ourselves. I'm just I'm trying to think how that works. So I I would imagine Necrodancer is probably like probably the game that has where the sound and the music has the greatest influence on the gameplay. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like obviously since it's a a rhythm yeah, it's a rhythm game, game, certainly there's certainly a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of importance in the music. But I'm thinking about like yeah, just like you're saying, taking those stems and, and manipulating them, and also making sure it all blends together smoothly, like. That seems like an incredible amount of work to get yeah, done I mean, to make sure it all works properly. It's a lot. I mean, so we did uh, more recently, we did Celeste as well. Right. And in that case, I did write some music, but they were kind of like remixes, like eight bit remixes off of uh, off of Lena Rain's stuff because she was the, you know, the main composer. So occasionally in the, in the game, you'll find these rooms with rhythm blocks and they kind of snap in and out of view. Uh, based on the music so we had to do some crazy stuff with the implementation this is like a half hour talk just to describe how it works but just accept that it was nuts and uh, we use a tool called fmod studio for that one um, just like tooth and tail just like other ones other games also and 
it was such that like the developers of F mod saw what we did for the music in that in those rooms and they were like what the fuck (laughs) this is it was never meant to do this at all and just found a way but we we basically turned f mod into we we turned what's called like a parameter timeline um into like a drum sequencer so like a step sequencer so every 16th note is like advancing in an integer like one two three four five and we in in effect ported a a song written in MIDI, like a 32-bar song written in MIDI, I ported that to a parameter timeline in FMOD. So it's, it's not playing like MIDI data. It's playing a waveform. And I have like every note. So I have like this instrument, like A through, like all, all the notes that play from that instrument. And I just like put them on the timeline manually. <laughs> it was a goddamn nightmare. But it plays back correctly in game. And no one knows how dumb it looks behind the curtains. But like it's... It's uh, it works, in the end, so it's fine. And on top of that, they're making they're using like some homebrew version of XNA, right? Yeah, it's a lot of custom stuff going on there. I think, and isn't also Pocket Watch? Didn't Pocket Watch do that for Tooth and Tail, or am I misremembering that? Uh, I think so. That sounds okay. right. Yeah, it's been a while since yeah. I wasn't there, but yeah, that so, sounds right. So the the reason I know that is the first year we did the the Hidden Gems panel at PAX East. I went up, the pocket watch was showing off tooth and tail and me being a dumbass. I don't know how I did this, but I thought they, cause pocket watch did Monaco right before they did tooth and tails at the previous yeah, game. That was their, their big one. Yeah. For some reason I thought their previous game was, um, a rogue legacy. I thought they were a cellar door for some reason. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I come up and I'm like, Oh, these are the, these are the rogue legacy devs. <laughs> and one of the people running the booth was like, uh, no, that's not us at all. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, and then we got to talking and I was like, Oh, okay. This, I really like the games. Like, obviously it's got a big red wall influence. Um, what are you making it in? And he's like, Oh, we're, we're using X and A. And I'm like, you're what? Like, cause I mean, obviously by that point X and A was, was, you know, not being supported anymore officially by Microsoft. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's and, not just that it's no longer supported. It's that they've like removed all the support that once existed. <laughs> oh, really? So it's like yeah, now so you like need documentation the, uh, for it for the audio tool. It's called the it's called Exact. It's the XNA um, cross platform or like audio. I don't know something like that. It's, it's audio. I can't recall now. It's it's like yeah, it's the, it's the audio tool that goes with XNA basically. And um, if you search like for the the support forum post and stuff you you can find them but you need to use the wayback machine like you need to use wow. the internet archive to read support posts on xna <laughs> it's so silly but yeah uh but i was like that's that's insane that you're using xna still and then he just points across like down down the aisle and it's just the big uh super giant back when super giant was first demoing pyre and pyre was just in a box Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't even see inside the booth. It was just a box yeah, that you sure. had to enter into. And he was like, they're still using XNA. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, wh- why? <laughs> yeah, I get some I get some hate here and there, but oh well. We've got Time Spinner recently as well. That's also an XNA. Really? Yeah, yeah, from uh, Lunar Games. Bodhi Lee. It's uh, Chucklefish. It's their new release. Oh, I didn't know Chucklefish was publishing it. Yeah. It's a bit of a late uh, edition. Chuckfish came on board kind of later in development, but yeah, so that came out recently-ish, um, September I think, and uh, yeah, same thing. XNA, <laughs> so it's weird. Yeah, well, that game's been in development for a while, right? Yeah, definitely like four years, something like that. 
I mean, probably in his head for, I don't know, 10 years, but uh, we've been involved for about four years. We had been involved. There are a lot of games. And then freaking Toby Fox comes out of nowhere. It's like, hey, here's a new, here's a new. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like a three hour long chapter one thing or something. Yeah, I have yet to touch it. But I was like, oh, cool. Guess I just won't go on the internet until I play this. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have a bit of a, I have a bit of a Toby Fox connection. So in the, the very first interactive panel of Homestuck, where you like walk around the house and you can go to the piano and play it. So I, I wrote um, John's like haunting piano refrain. Uh, yeah, that was like my, my addition, my contribution to that, <laughs> to that comic. How did that work out? Like how does like, so I, I, I've never read it. Like obviously I'm familiar with it and I've like probably gone to that first page and been like, Okay, this seems like interesting, and but I knew like people in college and stuff that were obsessed with it. But like, how did that whole thing like exist or come together? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, so Andrew Hussey's previous project, which was Problem Sleuth, um, I was so into, and it's just so ridiculous. And it went on for so long, and on the forum, I get like on the message board on his page for MS Paint Adventures. He was saying that, hey, so any composers, uh, I'm looking at doing something weird and new. Hit me up. And this was in 2007 or something. It was a long time ago. And uh, I was actually in, I'd finished school in composition. I'd have like a bachelor's basically, or the equivalent thereof. And I had like just moved to Vancouver and was in audio engineering school. So I was like, Heck yeah, let's get in there and like do stuff with our with our skills, right? I wrote like three tracks or something, and I got so busy with my otherwise life here in Vancouver, I didn't didn't do anything else. But that was like, the one thing I did. So it's kind of it's just weird going to YouTube and seeing people like doing covers of the song they're on their own pianos and stuff. It's pretty. It's kind of a trip. <laughs> it just blew up way more than I thought it ever would. That's really funny. Is it like a credit to you or anything in there? Yeah, I mean, they sold the album. I've been getting payments ever since. I got like a nine dollar payment, like a nine dollar royalty payment, like last last Tuesday. <laughs> Still That's coming right. in. Buy yourself a beer with it. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know what I've made of that of that whole song on in the long run, but it's just I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it paid for the time I put in. Right. But yeah, this is weird. So I saw uh, Undertale come out. I saw the Kickstarter originally, and then saw the game come out, and I saw Toby just kill it, and I was like, oh man, it's so crazy. Like since see Toby Fox like on the message board for. Homestuck compositions. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a huge fan of of Undertale, so I don't know if like I should just ratchet it back one and and check out Homestuck or if the the zeitgeist has passed on that. Yeah, I mean, I never finished it. Honestly, I I got so busy, it's hard to keep up with it. But I mean, it's got a rabid rabid fan base, so probably something there. <laughs> How do you, so I guess, obviously, like you said, you can be pretty, uh, you're able, you have the freedom to kind of choose what clients you want to work with. Is it mostly them approaching you, you approaching them? How does, how do those relationships get brokered? Well, it's a combination thereof. I mean, these days we get a lot of referral and a lot of doing, you know, existing clients and partners and friends, uh, just their next game, right? I mean, for, for Towerfall, Matt came back and was like, hey, we're doing Celeste. And Towerfall was awesome, and we had a blast working with Matt, and the game turned out great. So naturally, <laughs> we're going to hop on for Celeste, right? And I mean, personally, so I did like 95% of the sound design in Celeste, and I handled all the implementation and everything. So uh, I put a lot of me into that game, and it's probably my favorite game I've worked on. So 
in that case, like it just makes sense to work with Matt again, right? In other cases, we'll get, uh, I think actually like Super Meat Boy Forever, I think that that was a recommendation from Matt. I think like Tommy was just talking to Matt and was like, hey, you know anyone? And he's like, yes, I do. <laughs> Call these guys. As a matter of fact. <laughs> As a matter of fact, yes. Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of, it's, it's a small community, right? The indie scene, it's, right. it is international, but it's definitely a small community. So uh, we're, we're thankfully relatively well-known these days, and we don't need to be scrabbling for work too much. Um, that said, if we see something that catches our eye, like, hell yeah, we will approach that person and say, hey, like, do you need help? Even if it's, even if it's like, send us your build and we'll tell you what we think. <laughs> so, like, let us be involved in some way. This thing looks, looks awesome, right? So yeah, it depends a lot. But overall, we're, we're definitely in this, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful for this position where, position right now where we're, we're able to, to work on stuff that, uh, that tickles our fancy. Right. And collaborate with a lot of cool people. Like obviously Matt Thorsten and, uh, Mike Rose and, and all the fine folks at Finji and then Tommy over at Team Eat. Yeah, totally. I mean, just being able to work on, on unique projects. Like I mentioned Descenders, that's a big part of my personal focus right now. I mean, with our whole team, we have four, you know, core team members, um, that list earlier may seem staggering, but I mean, we're not, it's not me doing like 12 games, right? It's definitely, um, not yet. Off, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a team effort all the time with, uh, some support here and there from other, you know, contractors and such. And of course, with like shifting priority from different games here and there. So, um, personally though, I'm doing descenders and we actually built this, uh, this like metal rig. So one of the challenges I mean, in general, a challenge in, in sound design is like, how do you capture and reproduce and kind of recreate, represent um, the sound of something in a game in a way that not just that sounds correct, but also, uh, you know, is like technically viable. So it can, you know, for like optimization reasons, can play back on any system and won't mess things up royally. So with this, we have a downhill mountain biking game where we need to have the ability to have a... Uh, the, the bike sound existing in this system over here and then also the sound of the world in this system over here. So they interact a lot because I'll be biking on grass or I'll bike on cement or I'll bike on sand or gravel or whatever and we want to hear the sound of that surface. So, so far in game, it's not quite in game yet, but we have plans to, you know, make that surface sound correct. If you want a wooden ramp, it sounds like a wooden ramp, right? And it's really tricky because bikes are noisy. So if you try and record like the grass under the tires, it sounds like hell because you have like the clicking of the hub, like the chains and the pedals and it's just brutal. Like you need to be st- pedaling steadily or else you get those clicks of the hub going on, right? <clears throat> and on top of that, just handling noise of trying to have a mic attached to a bike in motion and <laughs> right. there's, a lot, there's a lot of problems to solve, you know? <laughs> so we... Uh, we approached a bunch of metal shops in Vancouver in the Vancouver area and found a great one that actually used to make bike parts for Easton sports. And so just this weird kind of just just serendipity, I guess. And the project manager like mountain bikes himself. So he knew what was up as far as the, uh, the parts involved. And we built this thing. If you can picture in your head, it's kind of like two front wheels of a bike. So no moving parts other than the wheel There's no chain or anything just the fork. So a fork and the wheel and the tire times two with a metal kind of cross beam. 
And then from that, there is a pole sticking out from it. So it's kind of like a T-shape. And the wheels are not straight. They can be straight, but for the purpose of recording, they're actually uh, like kind of in, they're angled inwards a bit. So that the idea being that we hold this pole and we can just spin this thing in a circle around us. <laughs> so there's a boom mic or a shotgun mic on a boom attached to this pole and it points at the contact point between the wheel and the ground. And we just wow. spin in a circle and hopefully, oh, and the thing's weighted too. We have like some, some plate weights, like you put on like a barbell, some plate weights on this thing to emulate the weight of a person, you know, compressing the ground beneath the, the tires. And you spin in a circle and hopefully get the sound of grass, the sound of concrete or asphalt or whatever. So it's been working pretty well so far. It's definitely a weird thing. And um, we've gotten some weird looks from people who walk by as we're <laughs> spinning a circle with this weird looking custom rigged bike. But uh, it seems to be working. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool thing that we wouldn't have to solve that problem and go through that process if we weren't working on a game like this specifically, you know. So it's it's definitely a, a a part of this job I love a lot, you know, not having not having a home in a studio where it's like you're doing this game forever, like you're doing I don't know like League of Legends, like that's our game forever, right? I mean, great game, obviously great team, but that's all you're doing like for your entire career that company. So with this one, it's it's nice having to you know do some, like secret stuff for Tunic and do like weird bike rig stuff for Descenders and do like a fake Russian sounding language for tooth and tail and et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's just a lot of interesting problems to solve in creative ways. I, um, to, to your, I think you described your bike rig to me at PAX East this year. And, um, Mike was also giving away a bike at the, at the booth. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, giant Boston like gave us a bike to give away it was right. crazy yeah no i remember it was, it was hilarious because like just watching his like uh kind of marketing or booth planning process like uh being live streamed basically or, or stream of consciousness tweeted out in the weeks preceding and leading up to pax he's, he's like all right i'm thinking like a bike giveaway also i need like uh 10 square feet of astroturf for the booth it's like where <laughs> yes. can i source this stuff in boston at this time of year yeah like, who can i talk to like working in England and trying to talk to people like beforehand. But I remember, so you telling me about that rig and then uh, Mike kind of uh, doing the giveaway for the, for the mountain bike. And when we went to do the panel, the hidden gems panel, uh, one of my panelists, Mason, uh, cause we decided we're going to, we're going to showcase descenders. Cause I really liked, I, we both really enjoyed playing descenders. So we're going to talk mm-hmm. about descenders and <laughs> Mason was like, and I think they said the bike that they're giving away was like a uh, like a foley prop, like a recording prop. And I was like, <laughs> that didn't didn't bother like didn't bother fact checking. But I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not like, <laughs> no, don't think that's correct. But that's okay. Yeah, we. I mean, we did record. Uh, we did record like legit bikers actually as well because we needed things like um, skidding around corners, and uh, we actually put a, a, a couple of bikes like on a rack like you'd use for, you know, for, um, tuning and such. And we just, and just, you know, pedal the wheels at a consistent rate. So we have that, uh, to deal with, get all the clicks and such. 
So there definitely was a lot of Foley involved in those bikes, but not, not that bike in particular, though. <laughs> <laughs> that specific bike. Yeah. Uh, they, it reminds me, uh, um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with like any, like the, the audio design work done on the new Spider-Man game, but they're talking about how Spider-Man has two different takes for every line audio. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I haven't dug in deep, but I heard a bit of it and it's, it's fucking nuts, man. Like that's such a cool problem to solve. The idea of of being able to transition to, um, like like not, not a stressed but uh, like an effort version of the line is just yeah it's really interesting it's a cool very cool problem. I am curious how they did it. I wonder if like you know because my simple programmer brain not used to audio engineering I would just be like okay well like you just have certain and also like editing a podcast be like all right well then there are natural gaps. In dialogue when people like kind of stop talking and take a breath and that that would be like where you would do the switch but it's probably maybe something even more dynamic yeah i mean i, I don't want to i don't want to speak like i know how they did how they did all of it because no, let's don't. armchair audio design let's do but, it <laughs> i mean just off the top of my head it seems like the problems to solve there are really interesting i mean just the fact that when you're doing something like going from a uh relaxed state to a um you know you're, you're putting you're putting work in that kind of state it's not like it's a, it's not a square wave you're like it's not staircasing up now you're working you know like it's a ramp so <laughs> and now you're working <laughs> so i feel like you would need to represent that ramp somehow like i can't picture in my head it working if you're just like the next word is now like under duress you know that that seems like it'd be really stupid so uh, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like you'd need to be recording that ramp in a bunch of places and then accommodate for it that way. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's nuts. However, however, it, it sounds great and it's nuts. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried Frankensteining, splicing two different audio lines together to try to cut out a bad take. And yeah, knowing how hard that is, I can, I can only imagine. Yeah, totally. I did some work on at my old job. I did like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy for the Wii U. And they had to do a lot of uh, of custom. It's called, it's called stitching. So vocal stitching is where they on the fly like put different files back to back. So things like um, you're playing Wheel of Fortune, you like choose like oh I'll choose C, and then Pat Sajak is like oh is there a C? <laughs> and he didn't record is there a C? He recorded like is there a? And then they put in like C D e you know or is there an yeah. e so we had to have the like the vowel starting sounds versus like constant starting sounds and then also um we had to have different um intonations because we can't have like yes there's two c's <laughs> <can't have> that. <laughs> it's like yes there's two c's like have to have finality to it so same thing things like uh like alistair beck saying player one your turn player one you know like it's, like, it's depending on the context of the line they had 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 to have like different lines or uh freaking matthew martinson um who's audio guru over at clay now i mentioned griffland's earlier he's over at clay and he worked on like nhl back in the day and they have to record the commentators doing like you know smith has the puck and again they didn't say that they just make it work and sound great it's like it's a black art man like making that work at all and making it just transparent and no one knows it's happening. It's really crazy. So yeah, the idea of the Spider-Man thing is like next level that basically. 
Yeah. I know you said that you're not a big Giant Bomb fan, but there is a pretty funny video where, uh, because you mentioned NHL. So last year, they did a quick look for nba 2k i guess is it 2k 18 is it if it is it like car model years if it's like it's it's 2018 this year but the car models are 2019 is that how it works for the 2k games i don't know i have no idea i couldn't tell you well (laughs) last year's last year's nba game they have like courtside interviews and commentary that like happened during a halftime or like you know whenever they do a timeout or whatever and one of the big commentators that's like actually part of espn or whatever is uh david aldridge he was like a former player, I think. And he <laughs> you can you can like skip the interview. It's like I don't want to watch this cutscene, so you just hit a button and it skips. So he'll be in the middle of the interview and just go to interview the player and you hit A and it just cuts him off mid sentence and then the people <laughs> like back back at the studio go like, All right, thank you, David. And there's just like I think it's part of like one of like the best of Giant Bomb videos too, but there's like a dozen times, they just interrupt David Aldridge while he's doing his courtside interview. So he's like, I'm here with player. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you for that wonderful commentary. All right. We're going back to the studio. And it's it's fantastic. Yeah. I was talking to a, a fellow on the Naughty Dog team, actually, at PSX a couple of years back. He was the guy who dealt, who developed the entire like interruption system in Uncharted. So if you are like in a Jeep with a with a guy who's like, talking to you for some reason about like mission objectives and stuff. And if you just stop the Jeep and leave like <laughs> the idea, like what happens in reality, if that happens, right? The guy's like, what were you like? Where are you going? I'm talking to you. And when you get back, I mean, in most games, if you hadn't finished the mission objective dialogue yet, that's like a problem to solve for like design, you know, for game design. And a lot of games will just like start it over from the beginning. He'll say all the same things in the same way. Um, but instead, in this game, they'll like go up, oh, and they kind of they'll have like interruption kind of cues that play. And then when you come back, he'll say things like, "As I was saying," and they'll like pick up from where they left off. So it's yeah, it's like it's cool. It's an really interesting thing to solve. And with teams like that size, that was his whole job. <laughs> that was that's like all he did in that team, and it was a full time job, right? So it's, it's pretty like, what, cool. What if players play Nathan Drake as an asshole? What do I do? Yeah, exactly. Like this is it's so granular with the the job descriptions that that uh, that echelon of of team size, you know. That was also a big thing in GTA Five because not even just like, oh, what if I jump out of the car? It they had things of like, oh, I ran into a a light post like as the person was like having a exchange with me in the car, so they'll be like, what the shit, and then like you you drive a couple more seconds and like, all right, anyways. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's also like such a crazy amount of content to keep in mind. Like I've I've been playing Red Dead Two, and mm-hmm. there's just there's audio interactions that are completely like non-vital to to anything. Like it's either mm-hmm. like end of mission dialogue that doesn't happen in a cutscene, or it's just like random barks or conversations that just like happen in the camp. Yeah, and and it's it's a ridiculous amount of content like i just did a i did a mission today where they uh, it was a bounty and i had to capture this woman and bring her back to jail and when i threw her into jail i could have just left but instead she just started having this completely unique interaction with the sheriff and like it's 
several minutes long and it's ridiculous it's like it only occurs between these two characters at this certain point when you do this one side mission dropping Mm. off this one character and like the idea (laughs) and obviously like there's there's all the discussions happening with the with the labor stuff involving rockstar and it's like yeah that's what you get when you when you overwork like all these all these people yeah i mean it's the there's a lot of the the content stuff there's a lot of like problems to solve that are content related as well when it comes to like dialogue especially so things like like gta you mentioned and like saints row and such uh there's so much dialogue happening all the time whether it's you know mission relevant or if it's just like pedestrians chatting away about whatever like their day and stuff right like it's all happening and the thing is it's there's like game design problems to solve where you say, well, how do we make sure the players hear like the most relevant thing to them? If there's five people talking at once, which happens a lot. Right. And, uh, there's a talk at GTC. Actually, I think it was Ariel gross who gave a talk on saints row the third. And he was saying how they had to kind of rank categories of lines based on, uh, or to, no, rather to dictate what the player should hear in a given moment. And the idea is that certain lines just kind of trump other lines and it would duck them. So that line's heard instead. So the top the top of the pyramid was like mission, objective, relevant lines. So if you need to know this information to solve this thing you're doing right now, you need to hear this. And then the next thing down was like story relevant things. They weren't necessarily mission relevant, but were story relevant. And on that same level were particularly funny jokes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, if they're like real proud of how funny this joke is, they make sure it's heard, you know? <laughs> and then like down beneath that, it's like, you know, just other chatter and like pedestrian stuff and, and reactions and that kind of thing. But just, just, got me, just kind of funny that like the, the writing team is like fighting for, it. you know, they are, you know, it's like, come on yeah. guys. It's yeah. so funny, right? Yeah. Give us the punchlines. <laughs> I remember one in GTA four, and it, it, it like one of those pedestrian comments, but it would be from from traffic, so it would be other motorists. And it would happen so often, like, I would just, like, I would crack up every time it happened. I mean, it's kind of inappropriate, but it's, like, kind of like that GTA classic blue humor. But I would sometimes, like, drive up, and it would be, like, an on-ramp or an off-ramp to a highway. Um, So it's, like, one lane, so it's, like, you can't really, like, you know, drive around it because it you kind of have to sit and let, let the traffic flow. But yeah. you pull up to it, and I would sit there... And then you just hear this woman say in a valley girl like voice, just say, whose dick do I have to suck to get the traffic moving? <laughs> yes. And every time I heard it, I was like, someone, someone recorded this, someone implemented this, someone yeah. made sure I heard this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of steps on the way to make sure you heard that, that line. <laughs> yeah. What I really like is that every time you, you mention about like this audio design stuff, you talk about like solving problems which i think Mm -hmm. is a really cool way to look at it um and obviously like game design or or, or different aspects of of game development kind of take that tack but i think it's really cool the way you approach audio design and and composition it's like all right what 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 problem are we trying to solve Mm -hmm. i mean we definitely try to i mean the the whole thing with us trying to get on on the ground level and involve ourselves in a project as, as much as we can i mean i'm a big fan of our whole team is a big fan of of marrying audio to the rest of the experience as much as you can and you know that that comes with having like game design relevant audio like i mentioned the shopkeeper thing you know so players are making choices based on what they hear um i was just playing a way out last night and 
Um, <laughs> with the, two controllers, right? Yeah, it was. Is Actually, what I saw just, the tweet was. Just, it was just me playing both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Oh, I'm too busy. For, I'm too busy for friends, man. You know, so, <laughs> so I get it. I get it. I, uh, I was like in this one spot where I had to, to like look out for the, the guard coming by my, by my, my cell. Right. And I was looking out and I heard the footsteps and it's a very basic kind of like, it's like hearing an enemy around the corner. You know, it's the same kind of idea, but hearing the footsteps altered my behavior. And I was like, Oh shit. And just quickly stopped what I was doing. Right. So like that, that moment, it, I'm so happy like watching Twitch and seeing players react to sound and like doing the right things. They heard the thing happen. I'm like, ah, oh, good. Like it's, it's, you're doing it right. You know? And that's the kind of thing that I think all sound teams or sound designers should like, should strive for just to, to push into, you know, embracing games as an interactive medium. It's not just you making like a linear timeline sound nice, like in a film which has a, a lot of a lot of value, obviously, but it's not interactive. So the idea of being able to kind of ha- play a part in the story of or the experience of this one person, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's really important. It's the whole job. Do you do you play games a lot, like with with headphones on to like get get a more kind of intimate sound experience? Well, I mean, I I play games in the same rig that I have my like my pro equipment on so it sounds great regardless <laughs> but uh yeah i definitely crank it up absolutely i think last year PUBG really made me like appreciate what you were talking about like very specific sounds directional sounds mm-hmm. um because i mean it's it's vital in, in an experience like that and obviously like you said like a stealth experience like knowing where where the direction of sound is coming from yeah actually there's some really cool stuff that uh clay did with mark of the ninja where there was a 2D occlusion system. And occlusion is a very common thing in 3D games, like the sound of, or what, what things sound like through a membrane, like through a wall, like through a door, right? Through a window. But in Mark of the Ninja, it's all 2D. And 2D occlusion kind of isn't a thing in most games. Like they just, I mean, Celeste, we didn't care. Um, we almost did it in like one room and just like, I don't care about this, it's fine. <laughs> like no one's gonna <laughs> care about this if that sounds like it's through a door or not. But in Mark of the Ninja, it's like really important because uh, you know, you'll be like in a vent and you can't see what's in the, in the room beneath you or above you or whatever. So you need to like, listen, you'll hear things like from the right or left or from wherever they are and how like the coloration on the sound would often inform you on like what you're hearing and, and how to react to it. So it would often, um, support or even replace the visual feedback the player was getting from the game or visual kind of information it was getting. So it's very, very fucking cool, man. Like Matthew Martinson developed that whole, occlusion system and it's like his proudest thing in his career of like 14 years or however long he's been in games <laughs> it's it's uh it's definitely it's it's it makes sense you hear it it sounds amazing yeah the visualizing of of the player's footsteps and other sounds that they're making in marketing and engine yeah that too exactly yeah it's all it's all very much kind of one-to-one the entire game visuals audio everything i wonder if that helps with accessibility at all like you said like some there are some parts where the screen's just black so i mean like everything all audio can't be represented on the screen visually yeah i mean we do uh so with with that there is actually a point i want to make so i do a, a weekly live stream called real talk with matthew um from clay and we look at demo real content from up and coming game audio folks and say like it's not good here's why or you can improve this and here's how 
that kind of thing. And a really common uh, piece of advice we throw out is watch this piece you've designed with your eyes closed. And can you tell what's happening? And can you tell what's happening in terms of weight and material and position and uh, you know intensity and relevance to the listener and all these things? And it's really common that you can't. It'll be like just wrong. <clears throat> so with accessibility, how that ties in is that if, I mean, games like, uh, you know, Ocarina of Time or uh, Symphony of the Night, like Castlevania, you can play these games blindfolded. Like it's, it's possible, you know? If you know the game very well, you can do it. And you're being informed of what's around you all the time by sound, by the sound design and by the music and ambience and such. So it's uh, like, actually I played the first, the first level of first chapter of Super Meat Boy with my display turned off a long time ago and you, wow. you can do it. You know, if, if you listen carefully and you know what you're, what you're listening for, you can do it. And I think that's a really cool thing to do in sound design in general is that if you, if you can accommodate for a, you know, visually disabled person to play their game, it's like, that's, Oh, it's a dream. <laughs> it's so cool. There's actually this fellow, Joseph Bine, who is a, a, uh, um, visually, I think is is he non-sighted entirely? He may have some sight, but not very much. He might be entirely legally blind. Yeah, he's he's definitely. Um, I th- I think he's non-sighted entirely, but he's a developer, and he's making a game for non-sighted individuals, and it's a really interesting thing. Like it, it's so cool, and it sounds crazy to me as someone who's played you know like a typical RPG, but it's like a dungeon color thing where there's sound cues all the time, and the sound cues mean things. They mean like there's a door to your right. And like, that's the sound you heard. That's what that sound means, you know? So even though that sound doesn't, um, like there's no, when you walk next to a door, there's no sound like you hear. <laughs> you know, it's not like a right. real world thing. But for the sake of the game, for the sake of accessibility, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, like, a, it's like an information um, vehicle, you know? It's so cool. And even the idea of, of uh, text-to-speech and giving, you know, visually, uh, disabled folks like the the most relevant information in that text so it's not going to read the whole page again it's going to read like this menu just opened up only and nothing else that's where they are right now right but a common complaint from uh from people with that that challenge in their life is that you know that there's no thought given to that so yeah it's something i've been more and more into recently like kind of asking like you know, opening conversations with people that are dealing with that in their life and saying hey like what because I'm not going to pretend I know how to solve these problems. Like I don't know what the problems are. <laughs> it's I've never dealt with that. So simply asking someone saying, "Hey, like play this game. What sucks? Like what is it super hard for you?" It's uh, yeah. So accessibility is is definitely an interesting kind of conversation being being brought up a lot more in the wild in the industry now. Yeah, I've I've well, one of the first guests I had on was Henry Hoffman, and we just mostly talked about how Hugh his game Hugh had accessibility options for for. Uh, colorblind folks yeah exactly like that's a very simple one you know just straight straightforward do that it's uh or the whole adaptive controller as well from from microsoft that new thing came up for the full indie summit here in vancouver and did a whole talk on that it was inspiring it's very cool i had one uh final question kind of pop in my head this is very specific to celeste i have not played the game to my shame but i have seen a fair amount of it but i was actually curious about the quote-unquote voices for the characters and was that also something you you guys contributed to, or? Yeah, that was kind of my own brainchild, actually. Uh, 
I, I always wanted to do, we, we, it's kind of coming to full circle, man, as far as like all the things we've <laughs> talked about, there's gonna be a few things that measure into this, this response. Um, so vocal stitching or voiceover stitching, as I mentioned before, the idea of kind of putting audio files back to back to back to make a transparent, like a single sentence. I've always wanted to do something like that, but with stylized voice where it's not real words or real language being conveyed. It's just like sounds. So kind of like a Star Wars cantina where it's just like vocal sounds that convey, yep, this thing is talking, but it's not really like information being delivered. It's just like a a, a, a canvas, like the voice is just a canvas, you know. So in that case, I've always wanted to do this as in, in some game and Celeste was a really good fit. That's all. And overall, we weren't taking the the kind of sound palette of Towerfall, the like kind of old school, but modern, like modern inspired, but uh, or modern influence kind of old school sounds. It was more like very realistic and kind of rounded new rich sounds in Celeste. But the one holdover was the voice. So in Towerfall, if you play Towerfall, when you select some archers, like kind of stuff, like those kind of things. Right. And that's kind of what the voice in Celeste sounds like too. So we took that kind of foundation of very basic synth sounds and made a crazy system of playback and had it like emotionally driven. So the portrait in the dialogue box in game is driving F mod and telling it what the emotion is currently. So if it's like a panic portrait or a happy portrait or whatever, a scoffing portrait, it would sound like parameter, you know, like emotion index three is like scoff or something. And you hear like kind of like, like this little <laughs> sassy, right? So yeah, it's, it's, it was a lot that went into that. I kind of prototyped one person first and then, and it sounded like shit, but we kind of refined it a few times and then got to a point where it, yeah, it wasn't just a voice, but it was being driven by emotions. It was playing back uh, with logic such that it plays, um, how do, I, how do I phrase this? We had different kind of groupings of syllables. So like is like one syllable and like is kind of a emphasized syllable, you know? So it's like ba 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 and that ba the kind of big ones were in a separate group and there was logic driving what the playhead was doing. So occasionally there was like a 40% chance that it would transition to the emphasized one to kind of give this like organic dynamic feel to it. And then in code the game is watching the text draw in the dialog box. And when it finishes, it throws like an end, you know, end equals one. And now it's like, now the sentence is done and it plays. There's also another group for like the period with the final kind of, you know, put a period on it and it's done. Um, and then it's just finished. So during dialogue, the game is playing like the dialogue event, the dialogue, like kind of the, the, the audio system is playing the entire time silently and then it's like waiting for inputs. So it's waiting for an emotion. It's waiting for the end. It's waiting for whatever. And it's doing that for all the all the characters in the game. So it's kind of a crazy system. But it's by far the number one question asked um, about like the audio in the game. I have like a full. I can send you the write up afterwards. As far as this whole thing, I have it like in That's a document. Really cool. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Oh, we like we mapped performance too, actually. So like in uh, as one small final audio nerd detail. Um, a very cool aspect of human speech is what's called formants. And they're basically naturally occurring spectral peaks in the frequency spectrum, according to the vowels you're, you're pronouncing. So, and they, they're, those peaks are, are formed by your tongue position, your mouth position, your throat position, all these things. 
So like if you go like, ah, yeah, yeah, there's a natural peak kind of moving back and forth on the frequency spectrum. So if you, if you look at like, like, ah, as a vowel, it's the same spectral peaks for every person in the world, like ah, and it's based off a root pitch. So it's kind of the same. It'll be like based off of a, like a, a factor of that root pitch, basically that root frequency. So we mapped formants manually and like no. I made it manually in a, in a parametric EQ and then automated it. So it would, it would just transition through like, ah, yo, yeah, 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 yo, yeah, kind of thing just over and over again. And I would play notes on a keyboard and mess with the pitch wheel and like perform the emotion. So I'd have to figure out like, what is a sassy scoff sound like, or what's angry sound like? And then kind of go kind of then make it sound angry, you know? So yeah, overall it worked out super well. And there was a lot of failure involved, a lot of failure, like a fucking lot of failure. <laughs> but overall, I'm, I'm, we're all pretty happy with how it turned out. So is, is that dialogue deterministic? Like if you play the same line multiple times over, will it always sound the same? No, it's not driven by like the content of the text. It's just saying, go and once the text starts it just sets this kind of like naturally um dynamic system in motion and then when you say stop it stops it so the playhead just sort of does its own thing for a while and then it it's done wow yeah that's really cool so it's nice like watching on twitch and seeing someone get like a particularly good one because occasionally it's like it just really <laughs> matches the text yeah. and but we can't really guarantee it right so overall it's just usually usually it's good that's fine that's the most asked question yeah like by a wide margin <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool thing, thing. It, it adds a lot of character and flair yeah i mean as well it's uh it's i mean the most the the minimal approach is like just that kind of sound right is something like the undertale thing right undertale took it one step farther and kind of gave individual like chirps to each character in the game so you're like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh in this case we have like not just a single chirp or a single like typewriter like it's kind of the most basic version you can do um, but yeah, we kind of put some more, some more emotion into it. And the other, the, the last kind of, uh, side effect bonus is that streamers can, can talk over it because they're not competing with dialogue. Ah. So it's like, and they can be like, what? That's not true. They can just say it. <laughs> they can like read it to their, to their viewers. Right. Or they can so. just say, wah, 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 wah. they can do that too if they want. Yeah. <laughs> I won't stop them. <laughs> all right. Well, Kevin, I think that's a great place to stop. Thank you so much for talking to me about all that. That's really awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. I guess we won't see each other again until next PAX. Yeah, are you, are you doing PAX South? Yeah, I'll be at South. Okay, I, th- I think I'm going. It's kind of up in the air. I think we're going to go show... I'm not sure I can even say what the game is yet, so I won't <laughs> I won't break any no ideas. Worries. No worries. <laughs> yeah, it's been good talking, man. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where can people find you? Right, so I mean, you can look at our stuff on powerupaudio.com but as far as social media stuff it's all the same like just twitter power up audio twitch power up audio i mentioned we have that weekly live stream so if you're in game audio and you want to have us and some other audio pros in the industry have a look at your your sweet demo reel content we do rip that it every, apart yeah and we'll rip it apart <laughs> constructively <laughs> uh we stream every thursday at 4 p.m pst sweet um, and if you like this podcast, you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, uh, you can find them at ward-games.com. Um, you can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else you can download a podcast. Just search Wardcast. 
like I said, we're we're rapidly approaching the end of the year, Kevin. We got a we got a game of the year episode already in the can. It's gonna go up soon. <laughs> who's coming up, by the way? Can I ask? Uh, like who's who else is guesting? Yeah, Khalif Adams. We're scheduling to get him on. Uh, I might record that this weekend as well and have that up soon after this one, maybe the following week. Uh, Patrick Klepik from Waypoint and uh, the Joggernauts team, Space Mace. They want to come on. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, from uh, from like Minneapolis or something like that? Yes, I believe that's correct. Yeah, good folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that should be all of the guests I have on for the rest of the year if something <laughs> changes and I look like a fool in retrospect because someone had to reschedule and someone had to ask also <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> that's all right no no worries but yeah uh thanks again Kevin until next time all right pal cheers <laughs>